Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Hey, Courtney. You know, we always enjoy celebrating Veterans Day, and uh, it's coming up this week. So we're delighted to salute our military personnel, specifically by highlighting a true American hero that we recently lost, General Colin Powell. You're right in, Carol. And I'm proud to say that our family has a personal connection to General Powell. I recently learned in a simple conversation with my dad discussing the memorial service for General Powell that he served under General Powell during his second tour of duty during Vietnam. And of course, that was before he was the general that most of us know. Wow. I love that connection. I did not know that about your father. And it's good to know because um, it really points up the fact that General Powell moved through a lot of different people's lives, including our very own. So while we celebrate those people who served and are serving in the military, as well as General Powell's accomplishments, there's one little thing, though, we can't overlook. And that's the fact that there's still work to be done to ensure even the military is rid of systemic racism. Now, while we'd like to think of the U.S. military as the epitome of a meritocracy, and and that's basically a system uh, where people, regardless of their station in life, their gender, their race, or so on, they're chosen and moved up in positions of success and power and influence on the basis of their demonstrated abilities and merit. That's what a meritocracy is. But even in the military that we would think would be purely a meritocracy, that old enemy systemic racism rears its ugly head. So true, and Carol, in interviews with the Associated Press, current and former enlistees and officers in nearly every branch of the armed services described a deep-rooted culture of racism and discrimination that stubbornly festers despite efforts to eradicate it completely. Yes, and fortunately, unfortunately, that's the truth. And at the end of uh, 2020, the Defense Department's Diversity and Inclusion Board released a report, and that report found that in the enlisted ranks of the active and reserve military in uh, the United States, they're slightly, as the report says, more racially and ethnically diverse than uh, the U.S. civilian counterparts. But not the officer corps. Now, the breakdown of all active commissioned officers is this. 73% are white, 8% each Black and Hispanic, 6% Asian, 4% multiracial, and less than 1% Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, American Indian, or Alaska Native. And the diversity gap widened, the higher individuals moved up in the ranks. 
Moving up in the ranks, which should be a merit-based system like in the military, though, not easy, should be on an equal playing field. But those statistics are definitely saying otherwise. Yes, they do, my dear niece. And that's why it's all the more amazing how General Colin Powell rose to the highest ranks, not only in the military, but also in civilian service to become one of America's most decorated and revered men. Now, with historical figures and heroes alike, an origin story is something that we all love. Their achievements are usually what gets the spotlight, and that's where we kind of lose that human side of our heroes. So, Ankira, let's start with General Powell's beginning. That's a good place to start. Now, Powell was born on April 5th, 1937 in Harlem, New York. His parents now were Jamaican immigrants. His father, a shipping clerk and his mom was a seamstress. Now, when Powell went to college, he uh, joined up and participated in ROTC, which is the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And it's a military training program uh, that gets people ready to be military leaders. He also was the leader of, of a precision drill team, and he earned the top ranks in that team. Now, one of his first military assignments was in West Germany and at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. After a promotion to captain in 1962, General Powell received orders for Vietnam. And by the time uh, General Colin Powell arrived in Saigon on Christmas Day, 1962, he was confident, he was eager, and he was ready to demonstrate the skill, his skills of bravery, and as a well-trained infantry officer, indoctrinated with the march in the hell if necessary uh, mentality to accomplish any mission. Well, that's the kind of soldier he was. And he spent 35 years in the army uh, following that particular mission. And he rose through the ranks to those years. Uh, he served as a brigadier general in, in 1979 and a major general in 1983 before eventually becoming a four-star general. And that's the most senior command ranking in the armed services. Now in 1989, President George H.W. Bush named Powell as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And that is all of the military um, services are recognized in that group. And he was the chairman of that group, the youngest ever. Now. He also was the first black person to serve as the Joint Chief of Staff. And in 2001, after leaving the military, Powell was sworn in as the first black US Secretary of State. So his military service transcended and transitioned over into civilian service. But in spite of all of his accomplishments, Courtney, I believe you have a story about his service in Vietnam that few people really know. I do. Now, like I mentioned earlier, uh, General Powell, at the time he was, you know, serviceman Powell, he arrived in Vietnam on Christmas Day, no less, in 1962. He was a senior tactical advisor to the 2nd Battalion, 3rd Infantry Regiment, 1st Division of the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, or the ARVN. And the ARVN unit executed counterinsurgency operations against the Viet Cong in a very highly contested area called the Shua Valley. Valley near the Laotian border. So in regular non-military terms, 
what Colin Powell was there to do was to coach. Think of the ARVN as a football team. They know how to play football, but they need to be coached. The coach doesn't go on the field, but he imparts plays and shows them different techniques to win. So that's what Colin Powell was there to do. Now, during his tour, this first tour of duty, he advised three successive Vietnamese commanders, and each one had their unique style. So today, I'd like to share a bit about how General Powell worked and adjusted with these commanders. Well, this should really show his leadership skills because being able to work with three different personalities and three different leadership styles, um, General Powell would have to make some adjustments in order to get success out of those guys. So I'm anxious to hear how he handled it. Well, his first commander, the first commander he advised was Captain Vo Kong Hugh. Hugh was respected by the men in his battalion, and he also appreciated having Powell as his advisor. He listened to his counsel intensely, especially when it came to training fortification techniques and combat techniques. One of the things that made their relationship work was Powell's style of being useful, but not taking over. Because you remember, he's the coach. He's there to advise. He's not to jump in like Rambo or or strive for unneeded heroics. But as General Powell would later state in his memoir, he knew he had to earn the respect of the men and the commander of the unit, which he did. How he did this is he would go with them on long jungle patrols and the battalion would often come over under frequent sniper attacks. So just imagine just going on a routine patrol, all of a sudden sniper fire from everywhere and gruesome casualties were suffered each time. But Colin Powell knew that the men were looking at him. So he had to learn how to calm himself and be brave on these patrols, despite what he knew could and did happen. That took a lot of control, a lot of control. Exactly. Every morning, Powell wrote in his memoir, I had to use my training and self-discipline to control my fear and move on as a leader. I could show no fear. So imagine trying to like, knowing that you're going to go into the jungle, knowing there's going to be sniper fire and you may lose some people, or even your own life, but steadying yourself every morning so you can earn the respect of the people you're working with. Mm, that's leadership. Now, early in this assignment, when the ARVM battalion was attacked, Powell charged into the jungle in hot pursuit of the enemy. But before long, he realized not a single soldier had followed him. Okay, that's not much leadership. <laughs> okay. Now, on another occasion, when his battalion was on patrol, a U.S. Marine helicopter gunner accidentally killed two soldiers in his ARVN unit. Now, this bloody blunder had undermined their belief in me, Powell recalled in his memoir. So the soldiers were like, well, wait a minute, you're from America. These Marines are from America. We know who we're fighting against. But if you guys are going to shoot us, what, what's this about? Mm -hmm. So that kind of he knew that they were losing confidence. But his credibility was rebounded when a U.S. made pr protective vest saved the Vietnamese private on a lead patrol. Powell had insisted that the vests be worn. Now, after that, the soldiers hailed the American leader as a leader of wisdom and foresight. So he won their respect back in, in spite of that uh, sad situation earlier. Wow. It, exactly. 
Now, Powell's second Vietnamese commander was Captain Kim. Now, Captain Kim is noted as being egotistical and rash and uninterested in the counsel of his American advisor. Powell and Kim had opposing leadership styles, which happens to a lot of us in leadership positions working with other leaders. But Powell was delighted in developing bonds with just the rank and file soldiers. And he even led them on song, in songs, American songs, and even Vietnamese songs on Saturday nights. Now, Kim's impersonal and ineffectual command came to an abrupt end when he was wounded during a mortal attack. Now, no great loss to the profession of arms, um, you know, his American advisor thought. So Colin Powell was like, you know what? He was brash. He was not paying attention to what I was, the information I was giving to him. So, you know, he got injured. Now he's kind of, you know, out of the way. Yeah, when you snooze, you lose. Oh, well. Or when you don't listen to somebody who knows better, you could end up getting hurt. Yep. Now, Powell's third Vietnamese battalion commander was Captain Quang. And as he was capable, but he lacked rapport uh, with his 400 soldiers. Now, Powell, on the other hand, like he liked to talk to and learn with and learn from the rank and file soldiers. Now, he possessed both expertise and field experience. And like I said, as well, getting the confidence of his troops. Now the battalion sergeant major began looking to Powell for leadership as opposed to the captain. And Powell wrote this in his uh, memoir. I was supposed to be there as an advisor and not a leader. Nevertheless, the two of us were in quiet collusion. Leadership like nature abhors a vacuum and I had been drawn in to fill the void. Okay, so he and the uh, battalion sergeant major, they actually became the ones that started leading that battalion because the, the supposedly the real leader didn't have the qualifications. He had the qualifications, but he didn't have the rapport. He ah. wouldn't socialize. He didn't give them the attitude of, I'm never going to ask you to do anything in this battle that I wouldn't do myself. So he was very standoffish as opposed to the Sergeant Major and Powell getting to know the people they're working with, putting trust in them, mm -hmm. you know, say, you can believe in me, I believe in you, we believe in the same thing, I'm no better than you, despite these stars or whatever on my mm -hmm. chest. Okay, so, that makes all the difference because they saw uh, those two guys as leaders and comrades, not just somebody out there in the front of the brigade uh, trying to run things. They were elbow to elbow, arm in arm, neck and neck as, as soldiers together. Exactly. Even to the point that Powell's battalion engaged in a rare and successful ambush against a Viet Cong patrol. The hmm. advisors uh, and the advisor was Colin Powell. His utter dedication to the mission was evidence in his willingness to participate in the torching of South Vietnamese villages, slaughtering of livestock and the destruction of farm fields. And I know people may be listening to this like, oh, my goodness, but this is war. And these people were fighting for their country. No matter how you feel about the Vietnam War, this is what they were sent to do. That was their enemy. And that was a part of, you know, demoralizing and stopping the enemy from moving forward. Now, this is what Powell was quoted in his book as saying, this was a counterinsurgency on the cutting edge. Now, he did say that he drew a moral line at corpse mutilation. That is something that he would not do. And he advised his soldiers 
to discontinue the, the practice of cutting off enemy body parts. And if you know anything about historical battles and warriors, that was a sign there. I mean, from coast to coast, from country to country, you know, warriors would cut off the ear, cut off the hand of an enemy to say, hey, look, I have proof. But he advised them, you know, hey, let's, let's not do that. We're kind of going into the war crimes area. Let's stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, well, there, there definitely has to be a moral line that, that you draw. Exactly. Now, when we come back from the break, I'm going to share a story about how a routine patrol could have not only ended General Powell's career, but his life. And another one that sounds straight out of an action movie. Well, Courtney, when we come back, I'm interested in hearing how this quote unquote routine patrol uh, played itself out. Luckily, we know it did not end in his death, but it still sounds like some serious business. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear about Colin Powell and his Vietnam service. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry?, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All that waiting for you at www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry?, See you there. All right, Courtney, we are now back. Um, Colin Powell is in Vietnam, and I think you're about to kind of scare us a little bit with some things that um, turned out to be some close calls. So what happened next? Well, let me start off with saying that this is a trigger warning. The thing I'm going to describe next is a part of warfare, but it's it is a bit graphic. It's not too graphic, but I just want to warn people with a with a weak stomach. Thank now, you. Thank you. <laughs> now, when we left off, we were talking about his early career in Vietnam and the rapport and the leadership experience that he had with three commanders while on his first tour of duty. Now, here we get to the, the exciting part. Now, a young Colin Powell ran across literally one of the nastiest booby traps in the history of guerrilla warfare. It's called a punji stick. And they were every soldier's worst nightmare because they were so easy to make. Now, these treacherous traps were spread all over Vietnam. The Viet Cong guerrilla army would simply cut a bamboo pole, sharpen it to a point, and then harden it with fire. The stakes were then placed in pits, riverbeds, on hills, helicopter landing zones, and stepping on a punji stick often resulted in very serious leg wounds. But records show that body parts like faces, mouths, private areas also ended up on the ends of these nasty stakes. Oh, this is gruesome. Now, in addition to the puncture wounds, the soldiers had another thing to worry about infection because the vietnam the Viet Cong uh dipped these steaks in poison or human and or animal excrement and that's something that colin powell found out the hard way during his first tour he and five soldiers were champing through the jungle and all of a sudden he felt the lightning pain of a stick so sharp that it went through his boot his sock his foot and up the other side. Oh my. 
Now, making matters worse, the stake was completely covered in buffalo dung. Oh, wow. It's a wonder he survived this. Now, at first, Powell didn't realize how much trouble he was in, and he decided to shrug off the pain. But 30 minutes later, he could barely walk. Using a stick as a crutch, he hobbled his way to a nearby special forces camp where medics discovered his foot had swollen up and turned a sickly purple color. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Powell was transferred immediately to division headquarters where the doctor looked at the hole and came up with the simplest solution. They, the doctor took a rag, put it on the stick and shoved it up and out the wound then cleaned the wound out of all the filth. And with the help of antibiotics, Captain Powell at the time was back on both feet in a matter of no time. Oh, I hate to even think about what you just described. Oh, it's, it's pretty, pretty gross. But in his words, he had a cool war story. The punji stick incident actually earned him a very weird nickname that he treasured and carried throughout his life so it was no surprise when powell was appointed secretary of state in 01 president bush dubbed him balloon foot and i know people (laughs) whoa and and people like oh that's rude but that's something that he held on to as hey i walked to a camp after having this thing go through my foot i survived this horrific and all i get is a a weird nickname i'll take it Mm, i I lived i lived (laughs) to tell the story about i lived to get the i lived to get the nickname yep yep now on his second tour of duty now this is a little bit more exciting those war movie heroics he was again behind the desk as the assistant chief of staff for an american division known as the 23rd though a staff off uh, officer um you know you don't see a lot of action but people consider Colin Powell, a man of destiny. So when you're a man of destiny, action comes to you. Now, on November 16th, 1968, the helicopter transporting Major Powell, along with a 23rd uh, American Division ID commander, it crashed. Now, Powell was injured, but he was able to clear the wreckage. He ran back to the burning helicopter several times to rescue his comrades. Though the helicopter was in danger of exploding, he continued to attempt the rescue. He found one passenger trapped under a mass of of the twisted burning helicopter fuselage. Powell tore away the burning metal with his bare hands. Wow, this is stuff of movies. Good grief. A man of strength, action, and determination. Go, pal. Now, for this, he was awarded the Soldier's Medal for his actions that day. And he managed to rescue every passenger from the downed helicopter. Mm. As Along with the Soldier's Medal, he also earned a Bronze Star and two Purple Hearts for his tours in Vietnam. My, my, my. Boy, Courtney. He, yeah, you know, he was a man of great humility. And I'm sure these stories are stories that even though they're told about him, I can imagine that uh, he just took it as this is what you do when you're a soldier. But I'll tell you, my my admiration for General Powell definitely grew after hearing some of these exploits. And I'm sure there are others that uh, we just don't know about because he probably didn't talk about them. Um, But, you know, we also have to remember that Powell, like all of us, wasn't perfect. He 
he had his missteps. You're right. And Carol, Colin Powell was human. And one of the biggest missteps in his entire career was during his stint as secretary of state and what he would later call a blot on his career. So he's saying it himself. We're not being critical. He was critical of what he did in this moment. Powell was widely criticized for presenting questionable intelligence to the United Nations in a 75-minute speech that in 2003 present in a 2003 presentation to the UN Security Council. That's where he laid out evidence of Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. And we all know that that turned out not to be true. Those weapons did not exist. Though his speech did not directly lead to the Iraq invasion, since George W. Bush was going to invade anyway, and the presentation did not succeed in persuading the council to pass a second resolution backing military action against Iraq, the speech haunted him until his very last day, until the day that he died. It, you're so correct, Courtney. Powell's speech, it actually proved to be a divisive and decisive moment in undermining U.S. credibility on the world stage. And something I know uh, General Powell regretted uh, because he would never want to bring shame to uh, the, the, the United States. Uh, he repeatedly insisted his claims were based on hard intelligence, which wasn't the case, which you know made him out to look like and to be a liar. But despite that blot on his career, Powell became the most decorated black man in the United States military history and one of the most admired. There was even talk of him running for president. Powell's efforts during the Gulf War also earned him the Congressional Gold Medal and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He also received another other notable awards, like we said before, the Bronze Star, Two Purple Hearts, the Soldier Star as well. Well, Courtney, in addition to the military awards, Powell also received the President Citizens Medal, the Secretary of State Distinguished Medal, uh, Service Medal, and the Secretary of Energy Distinguished Service Medal, as well as a second Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Bill Clinton. And on top of all this recognition, in 1993, Powell was named an honorary Knight Commander of the Most Honorable Order of the Bath by Queen Elizabeth II. A knight, no less. Yes. And on top of his accomplishments, here's a fun fact about General Powell. He could speak Yiddish. Yiddish. Yes, while working as a teenager for a Jewish-owned store in the Bronx, he picked up a little Yiddish. In 2013, Powell spoke about how the store owner, a Russian Jewish immigrant, helped change his life by insisting he had more potential and that he should get an education. Powell said, I was so touched that he thought enough of me to tell me that I had potential to do other things things in life. Well, you know, Courtney, General Powell credits that store owner for starting him on his path to success. And based on that man's prodding, Powell went on to join the Reserve Officer Training Corps, the ROTC, like I mentioned earlier, at uh, the City College of New York. And that experience inspired him to then join the United States Army. And then, as the cliche says, the rest is history, that illustrious career and all those awards and everything we've talked about were an outgrowth of um, his taking the advice of that, that man at the store. 
Isn't it amazing how a few words of encouragement made all the difference in the life of one of America's heroes? That man didn't have to say anything. That was his employee. He did not have to pour into or speak life in Nicole and Pyle. But because he did, we're making a podcast about him right now. You're right. You're right, Courtney. You're exactly right. We never know the impact our words can have on another person to influence them to go high or go low. And in this case, Colin Powell definitely went high. He beat systemic racism and showed the military can be a meritocracy. And with that, our episode is coming to a close. We would like to wish a happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans and a hearty to salute to all of our current military members. And if you miss us in between episodes or you want to reach us out to us during social media or even pick up some Why Are They So Angry merchandise, please visit our website at www.podpage.com slash why are they so angry. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time where we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.